0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. If you have a Bible, turn with me to two places this morning two places. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 2 after we read our text. So um, if you've been with us, you know we're going through the book of 1 Timothy verse by verse, and we find ourselves in just <laughs> a very interesting chapter this morning. And uh, it's, it's one of these chapters that the pastor sweats over and stays up at night going, Lord, wrestles with every time you go, come to this passage, you wrestle with it and make sure you understand it correctly. You make sure that the Lord is telling you this is the interpretation of the scripture. And I can tell you that I I have wrestled with it this week. And I I believe that the Lord has given me the the, the correct interpretation of 1 Timothy chapter 2, what we're going to talk about here this morning. Stand with me. We're going to read our text this morning. We're going to pick it up in verse 8 for context purposes as we move in to really our text this morning, which is 9 through 15. 1 Timothy chapter 2 beginning verse 8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women would adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if, she, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Lord, that it tells us what we need to do, how we need to live. It tells us about our roles and responsibilities of different genders, Lord. It tells us everything we need, your word says, we have for life and godliness, and it's all described in your word. We ask you this morning, Lord, to, to humble our hearts, that we would hear from you, we wouldn't allow our own flesh, our own feelings, Lord, to block what it is that your word says. And we ask you to just come and speak directly to each and every individual heart here this morning. And we thank you that you will, Lord, and we thank you that you already are. Help me rightly divide the word, Lord, I pray, and speak to speak through me by the power of your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. Please continue to pray for me. So uh, the title of my message this morning is The Conduct and Role of Women Inside and Outside the Church. The Conduct and Role of Women Inside and Outside the Church. Now, there's not probably any more of a you know, controversial text that we can get into right now in, in this time frame than this one. I, I really think that this is probably one of the most controversial texts when it comes to uh, modern day Christianity in America, particularly America, when it comes to these things. And it's, it has a lot to do with where, how we've grown as a nation and, and the direction that we've taken and all of these kinds of things. But needless to say, the Word of God gives us the answers that we need. And just as John MacArthur is surrendering to the Word of God this morning and, and defying those who will tell him he can't meet, um, you know, so too does the Word of God tell us as it relates to gender and what our roles are and our responsibilities are as man and woman. And so this morning, as we talk about this, uh, you know, you might have feelings against, like I'm not sure if that's true. What I want you to do is hear what I'm saying and not block it off. But I also would encourage you to go do your own study. Because I think an honest reflection in the Scriptures will help you arrive at the same position I have because that's exactly what I've done. I owe that to you ladies, that I would come to the Scriptures, particularly in this verse, in in particular as it relates to authority over men in the church, that I would wrestle with that diligently, seeking the Lord on my face, and not present just a canned scripture that says this is what it says. Because I have found in my own personal walk with the Lord that God has changed my perspective on things. I thought I understood, and as I've grown in the Lord and matured in the Lord, the Lord has changed different viewpoints that I've had. And I think it's helpful when when we read the Bible to remain open, to, to not become so dogmatic in every single little nuance of Scripture, but we allow the Scripture to speak for itself. We don't feed into it what it says, but we let it tell us what it says. And, and really, that's what I've, what I've done here. And I, and I would say you should do that with every text except for those that, that talk about Jesus Christ and the, being the foundation of salvation. There is no other interpretation. And we do not look at anything else other than that. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. But in these cases, when we come to these kinds of things, and they are related somewhat to what's going on, um, you know, historically, as it's being written, there are very specific things that are being addressed and all of these things. But, uh, um, you know, we, we're and we're going to get into all of that. So... So, before we do that, I, I want to tell you, I was um, golfing with, uh, with Mike and Jacob and, and John Lowry here last, this, on last Friday. We were this, this, this last Friday, and we were um, doing a golf tournament for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So, they asked us if we'd put a team together, so we did, and we went out there. And I'm hoping that my sermon doesn't end up being like my shoes. So, so what happened was on hole one, my sh- my golf shoes, the very bottom layer of the sole came off on the heel. Then it happened on the, the hole two on the other side. I still had a little heel left. Like hole four, then the other part of the heel came off, so now I got no heel and my shoes are like this, you know, they're, they're, the heel has a cavity in it. And so I'm walking like this, you know, just trying to do that thing. and. And and, and actually, I'm walking like this because this one's still on, and then that one falls off like hole four, five, right? Now I got two cabbages on both shoes, so I'm thinking, man, I don't know how long this is going to last. Then the front part of the sole came off about hole six, and both of them actually came off at that point. I was still doing okay, because there was one under layer of the, there's no tread left, by the way, it's just totally smooth. And, but but it, there's still, it's still the shoe is infused with some, some bottom sole, a little bit of it. Well, that didn't last long. About hole eight, they both came off and my shoes were falling apart, so I golfed with no shoes. Well, flip-flops primarily, uh, but I took them off as I hit the ball. Now, I'm hoping my sermon doesn't do that because that would be horrible, but it was very bad. Now, w- when it comes to the subject of women and, and, and the church and their conduct and role and all of that, um, you know, we have to address sort of an overlying issue that that's that's sort of, uh, you know, has been present, I would say, since the beginning of time. And that is that women have been treated in in, in the past, in some degree, uh, here presently, with some level of inequality, like like to, to some level. And in fact, in a lot of countries, there's been a lot, uh, there's been a high level of you know men looking down on women as if they are unequal as men, you know, in, in terms of personhood. And for centuries, women have been mistreated by despicable men who have used and abused their positions both inside and outside the church to oppress and suppress women. And it's been tolerated, even in our country for quite a long time, until it was addressed, I think, and that battle began in the 60s when women came together and addressed this oppression and discrimination that they were being subject to. It's appalling to hear if you read the stories of sort of the whole women's liberation movement and all of that. It's kind of appalling to hear some of those stories. And and so, you know, a lot of times when we come to this passage, people automatically bring up the women's liberation uh, movement and they totally discount all of it because of really ultimately some of the other underlying issues that it supports. But I would suggest to you that what happened with that in part, is absolutely right and should have happened. In other words, I believe that, uh, you know, women were being mistreated. They were being abused in certain ways. And I want to make it clear that the Bible never, ever tolerates women being treated unequal to men, ever. It never tolerates that. That is not okay. And I believe, in part, when that movement started addressing that was... Was awesome. I think it needed to happen. However, this is where things get a little difficult with that. Just because uh, you know there was abuse and misuse of power as it relates to roles of men and women, we can never ever truly abandon the 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 roles that women are to have in in our culture because of the abusive of the way that it's been handled. You don't abandon. Design because of abuse. You cannot abandon what God designed to be because of the way that it was misused or or abused. And that's where I think that the women's liberation movement sort of goes off track into what I would call a very sinful state. It moves into an area where not only are we talking about equal in personhood, but now we're talking equal in role. And I would say the Bible really really kind of gives us the the clear cut. There's a separation in those two things. Let me me illustrate it like this. Can anybody anywhere become the president of the United States? Can anybody do that? The answer is no. Not anybody can walk in and say, I want to be the president of the United States. There are certain criteria that a person has to meet in order to do that. And I don't care how much you like it or don't like it, that's the reality. Right? You have to surrender to the rules and 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 the way things are made. You can't be um you, you you can't be a foreign citizen and try and be the president of the United States. It does not work. I don't care how you feel about that, but that's the way it is. And so it's a simple illustration, but but that's the truth. There are there are rules of God's design when it comes to men and women, not in equality because that's settled. God has made man and woman equal in personhood. But what about roles? How did God design men and women? Now, uh, you know, did he design them differently? What is his expectation for men and women in the church and in the home? We know that the world answers this question for us. Interesting enough, men are from Mars or women are from Venus, right? I mean, that in and of itself says that we were created differently, we're wired differently, and there's a purpose for that. God designed and fashioned us, listen, equal in personhood but different in design for one purpose His glory. It's for His glory, period. You know, as the creator and designer of the world, God has the right and the authority to tell us, both men and women, what we should do and what roles we should play to bring him the most glory. And that's what it's about. It's, it's about him. He designed us. How silly would it be for you to go to the designer of Of Apple and say, well, I'm going to use this as a plate. Well, no, it's not meant to be that way. It's not meant to be a plate for food. It's actually a device that can do a lot of other things. No, but I'm going to use it as this. Go for it. But you're going to be at a sore disadvantage because this can do a lot of other things that you're not using it for. And and I would say that when men and women go outside of their roles of the design of God, they are not fully accessing, even though they think they are fully accessing all that God would have for them, they are not. They're going the direct opposite way, both men and women. So I think it's important before we even move into this text, and I I think the text itself actually takes us to this place of design automatically. When Paul, why do you think Paul brings up Adam and Eve? He brings up Adam and Eve for a purpose because if we're going to understand this text, and not just lumping into saying, hey, this is just a, just a historical, cultural issue that was going on in Ephesus, although it was. And we'll, we'll get into some of those things that were happening in Ephesus and the reason why some of this, um, th- these roles were being uh, you know manipulated and things because of the cultural issues. But here's what I'll say. Paul says, but, but that's not the problem. We have to talk about design. We have to talk about what was God's intention from the beginning of time when he created man and woman. And that's where you have to go in order to fully understand this text. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to look at creation, and we're going to look at God's design for man and woman as we walk through this text, and then we'll come back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we will look at um, what Paul is, you know, we'll we'll consider it from that light. So Genesis chapter 2, You can flip over there with me if you're there already. We're going to be looking at verse 7 where it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. This is one of my favorite scriptures. I love the idea that God took dust from the ground, and he blew life into it. And that's the picture of being born again, folks. That's the picture of being born again. That breath, that pneuma, is really the spirit of God being breathed into Adam. Adam was made. He was dead, but then he was made alive. He was dust, but then he was, became a living organism through God's breath. How amazing is that? I love that idea. But, but God made Adam from the dust. It's important that you understand the order of this and how God created Adam. He created him from from the dirt of the ground, and he breathed life into him. Now look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Adam has responsibility and authority immediately. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it, and the Lord God commanded the man... Saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a, help, a helper suitable or fit for him. Verse 20. This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There is so much in terms of design laid out right here for us that honestly... Second, our First Timothy chapter 2 is supplemental in comparison to what we have here. What this says to us as it relates to the roles of men and women is, is, is impactful. It's, it's prominent in the scripture right here. And Paul simply, I believe, is coming from that place. He's coming from a place of creation and what God intended for man and woman in the first place. And that's where he's writing this from in a a cultural setting that needs to be addressed. Here's the thing is, when Adam was created, he was created first in order. Then he was placed in the garden, and God gave him dominion. He gave him authority. He gave him responsibility to name and care for everything that was in the garden. He was the one that was called to, to, to essentially do everything in the Garden of Eden, You know, the Lord created Adam in a very specific way. Although he was perfect, he was still needy. What do I mean? I I thought when we were perfect that we're not going to have any needs. Wrong. You will be perfectly in need of God. You will be perfectly dependent on God, but you will not be perfectly autonomous from God. In other words, as we're, we're being made perfect, as the Lord makes us perfect one day we will just be incredibly, perfectly dependent on him. Adam was not needless. When God created him, why do you think God said, it's the only time in creation that we say God saw what he made, and it wasn't good. It wasn't good that Adam was alone. Why? Because God created Adam for relationship. God put a need in Adam to be relational, not just with God. And you see, it says here that there was not a helper suitable or fit for him. So, so you have Adam looking at these animals who are two by two. And he's thinking, where's my, where's my maid? Where's my helper? That, that looks like there's a longing there for sure because God put that in him. He wasn't complete. He wasn't complete. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm going to say here. Your wife or your husband will never complete you. But the relationship that God created you to have is something that you need. And not everybody has to be married, but that relationship needs to... God created us to be in relationship with each other. So Adam here, the Lord is saying, man, I need to create someone to help Adam, to, to be his, his aider, literally. Uh, the, 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 word, the word there means... Um, One who assists and supports in times of hardship. One who aids and supports in times of hardship. That's what the word helper means. God says, Adam, you can't do this all by yourself. And of course, we can do all things through Christ, right? But the Lord says, I'm going to bring you a helper, Adam, a, a woman. And so here's the creation thing. God doesn't take Eve from the ground and form her up, but he takes her from the man. Isn't that interesting? And in fact, that word there, the rib, literally means half of him. Takes half of him and creates a woman. I like that translation. He was half a man from the beginning. I mean, it's it's in the text. But God created a woman. And when Adam saw her, he was like, Whoa, man. <laughs> he created her from him. There's an order to that. There's an order to what's going on in the text here. And, and and then here's the thing. She was created to be, listen, his helper, not his leader. He wasn't to surrender the authority and the, the dominion that God had given him, the responsibility to lead. He was not to surrender to his, to his wife. He was called to lead. And, and she was called to help him lead. And that's where I think we get off track in marriage if you're married. When we immediately depart that design from God, men, you're called to lead your family. You're called to lead. And, and, and your wife is called to help you. Not take your position over. I promise you that she could do a better job than you. My wife could do a better job than me. But it's not about ability. It's about design. It's about what God intended for us. So, so, so here we find that nowhere in the scriptures do we have God saying, Now, Eve, let me tell you the rules of the garden. He had already done that. He would already given that over to Adam. He said, Adam, your responsibility is to communicate my word to your wife. It's it's the same pictures we have of Moses coming and communicating God's law to man. It's the same idea. Nowhere in the scriptures do you ever see God saying to a lady, hey, I want you to go communicate this that I've only told you to man. You don't see it. And it's not because woman is unequal to man. It has nothing to do with that. It's called order. That, 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 that word submit means to fall in rank. It's a military term. You, you can't go in the military and just become a general. Well, I'm going to run this thing. <laughs> no, you're not. And you're going to be painfully reminded that you are not going to do that. You can't do that. There's an order, there's a rank to things. God designed it that way in marriage, and He designed it that way in relationship to roles in the church and in the home. So, there's something that happens in the Garden of Eden after Eve is made, and of course you know what it is. It's the fall. After Eve disobeys the command of God that was given to her husband to give to her, Uh, Notice what it says, the Lord gives the curse to the woman in Genesis 3, verse 16. It says, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Listen, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, the most basic and straightforward understanding of this verse is that men and women would now have ongoing conflict related to design. There would be a conflict within man and woman related to the design, what God intended. I like the way that the New Living Translation uh, translates this, this text. It says, there, you will desire to control your husband and he will rule over you. What I want you to see is both sides of that coin are absolutely sinful. You will try and rule over your husband, but he will abusively rule over you. In, in, in authority, yes, but, but beyond what he's called to do. And that's what we have in our world today, folks. We have men and women who are a result of the fall of man who are in sin as a result of, of what, what, what Eve and consequently really Adam did. Women are going to try and abandon God's design and men will abuse God's design. Women will eject the authority, re- reject the authority of their husbands and men in the church and men will rule over their wives in abusive ways. That's how it's handled mo- for mo- in most parts of the world. But that wasn't God's design. That was part of the curse. And now we have a, a real mess as it relates to not only design, but now we have a real, real mess as it relates to personhood too. So we have inequality in a lot of parts of the world, to, even right now in this day and age. Women are treated in a lot of cultures like they are subpar. They are not equal. Thankfully, that isn't the case in our country. The, the equality part of it isn't what we're talking about. Now we're talking about design but i can promise you in many many parts of the world it is a matter of equality as well so there's there's a lot of things going on there so our focus as we as we're coming into second first uh, timothy chapter 2 our focus is going to be from the the viewpoint of that we understand men and women are created equal but we're coming from the viewpoint of what is god's design for 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 in particular women so with that said first timothy chapter 2 now I've divided these verses up into three sections as it relates to the conduct and role of women inside and outside the church. We're going to consider the responsibilities of women regarding apparel and attitudes. Then the restriction of women relating to prohibitions Paul makes uh, here about women preaching and particularly exercising authority over men in the church. And finally, the redemption of women through childbearing and a continual walking by faith Love and holiness with self-control. So let's consider the responsibilities of women relating to their conduct inside and outside the church, verse 9. Likewise, also that women would adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. The word likewise here is pointing us back to verse 8. That's why we started there. Because when Paul, you can't just start like a therefore. We have to ask ourselves what it's there for. We have to go backwards. Paul just got done saying, just got done not suggesting but commanding men uh, to, to pray everywhere and to pray for everyone, including those who were in authority. So he commands men to take that leadership role in prayer, corporate prayer, coming together. They would just pray not only inside the church, but outside the church. They would be the leaders in prayer, commanded. Likewise, Paul says, in a commanding away from apostolic authority, he says that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, in modesty and self-control with braided hair and, and, and such Here, Paul is is speaking directly to women, listen, who profess godliness. So he's not asking the church to go out into Ephesus and police the women in Ephesus, right? That's not what he's asking him to do. He's telling Timothy, who is the leader, the pastor of the church of Ephesus, you need to help women understand internally within the four walls of the church how they are to conduct themselves with apparel and attitudes. That's what he's, he's communicating them with. The reason why he's addressing this is because of the place that they live. So they live in Ephesus. And if you know anything about historical Ephesus, it, particularly in this time, you know, there was a, a, a temple there. The ruins are still there today. The temple of Diana, the sex goddess. And that, that temple was ran by women. There was women priests and there was women prostitutes and they would go up into the temple and they would make their way down. This was one of the seven wonders of the world during this time. This was not a small thing. So this was a big deal. And this culture that was going on where women were prominently, promiscuously, you know, uh, unveiling themselves on the streets, but then also being leaders in the temple had made its way into the church. So Paul says, hey, we got to address this. We have to address this idea. Now, some of those prostitutes, some of the women, and it's not just prostitutes that he's worried about, but he's also worried about women who have gone beyond um, what is normal to draw attention to themselves as they come into the gathering. So wealthy women who want to express how much they have were dressed into the nines that come into church to say, look at me. So that's culturally what's going on in this passage. And Paul says, well, let's address it like this. I'm going to command that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. What does that mean? (laughs) That means, listen, make sure when you come in to God's house that you're not drawing attention to yourself, that you're in respectable apparel, that you're wearing something that, um, you know, you would wear if you were going out on a date with Jesus. You know, turtleneck, you know, all covered up and everything. Big dress, you know, nothing form-fitting. No, I'm just kidding. Here's the reality of it is, It's not so much what it is, but why you're wearing it. That's ultimately... And, and here's, here's what I understand. I'm not a lady, in case you were wondering, but I'm not. And here's the reality of that. Is that I understand most women, when they dress to the nines, when they come to church, they're not dressing so much to attract man's attention, but really, not, not that that doesn't happen, because it does, but primarily to impress other women. They're, they're doing it to say, hey, and, and I, I, I have to admit, I've seen it. I've seen it in, as I've walked with my wife and my daughter and in different places in public, I like to watch people. I just like to observe what people do. So my daughter, my wife, and I watch women do this. You know what I'm saying? Dude, when you go outside of the house, you're a lady. You better be buttoned up. You better be looking good because you're going to be getting this whole thing the whole time you're out, right? It's true. So a lot of times, women are trying to impress other women by the way that they're dressing. But here's what can happen is we can be so concerned about impressing people on the horizontal that we forget about when we're coming here that it's all about the vertical. And God isn't looking at the external but the internal. And that's ultimately what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, listen, um, now now many, many people have gone way beyond what I think that this, this says here to say that women shouldn't wear, um, you know, they shouldn't do their hair up. In this culture, particularly Greek women, would do these layer upon layer upon layer of these big old hairdos with You know, jewelry weaved into him, and all this kind of stuff. When they walked in, it was like a light show. Boom! You know, the the jewelry reflecting everywhere, and 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 and, you know, Paul is saying that that's all about drawing attention to yourself. You know, he's not saying you can't do your hair. He's not saying, you know, you can't wear jewelry. God, he's not saying you can't wear makeup. Listen, I like what Jay Vernon McGee said. He said, if the barn door needs painting, paint it. Right? I mean, there, that's not, has nothing to do with that. <laughs> no offense, right? But, but that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is be careful about the way that you're presenting yourself when you come in the four walls of the church so that you're not drawing attention away from God. That's the whole point, folks. Be very, he, 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 be very diligent about not try, trying to draw attention away from God. Be respectable. Literally, that word means orderly or proper and suitable. Dress that way. You know, he talks about being being modest in in your apparel. What does that mean? That, that again, that that idea is um, it, it's it's it, it's a distaste for immoral or dishonorable fashion. That's what it means. Like I'm not. I'm not wearing things that are distasteful. Well, what, is, what does that mean? I think we all know what that means. I don't think we need to say, here's the rule list of what that looks like. You know in your heart what that looks like. We all know that. So be modest in self-control. I love what Paul says here as he's ending this. He he talks about the idea of those who are professing godliness with Good works, not with your external, the way you look externally, but the way you live your life, the way that you carry yourself, the way. Of course, it's an inside-out kind of a thing. What's going on inside will come outside, right? And, and it's not just going to be in apparel and and that, but also in attitude. And and you'll be living for the Lord, and and you will automatically be doing good works. Now we aren't saved. Through good works, but we were saved unto good works. What do I mean? When you were saved, the Bible says Romans chapter five that you were called to walk in newness of life. There's a new work that God wants you to do, and He has created good works for you to walk in beforehand. Ephesians three ten or two ten. We are His workmanship in Christ Jesus, created for good works that He created beforehand that we should walk in. So the idea is that we're we're fulfilling God's plan for us and we are looking good from an eternal perspective. Like it's like when you walk in and the Lord's going, wow, look at my daughter. Look how awesome she is. She is so good looking. My daughter is so awesome. She's following the spirit of God. God's not like going, whoa, look at that dress. Look at the bling that she has on. She's all iced out, man. Look at her. No, he's not. But he's looking at the heart and he's saying, Look at my daughter. I'm so proud of her. She is, so, she is so wrapped up in me. That's what he cares about. Listen, we all have, to some degree, have to deal with the fear of man and the idea that we want everybody to like us. But ultimately, the one person that we will answer to, he's the one that we should be the most concerned with. We should be living for him, not for anybody else. Paul goes on here in verse eleven. And he says, "Let a woman learn quietly and with, with, with all submissiveness." Now, I know what you're thinking: Who is this guy? Why is he saying this? Why? Why would he say? Now, now, here's what you need to understand: in, in the cultural context, this is an incredible, incredible blessing for women, because he says, "Let a woman learn." Well, you take that for granted. But writing that in this time frame, in 8064, 64, when Jewish women were not allowed to learn at all, and Greek women were allowed to learn, but very, very strictly on what they could learn, and they were, neither one of them were ever to address their husband in public, ever. You know, the Jewish men, when, when the child would turn five years old in this culture, they would take a Jewish boy from their mom and the the male would raise them because they they didn't want that influence on their lives because women were unequal. They didn't understand the purpose of women in that culture, and there's a large degree people don't understand it. Paul is saying something so countercultural right here that it's like, whoa, let a woman learn. That's amazing. But here's what he says. Here's the prohibition. Let her learn quietly. And with all submission, you know it's funny you know in the when the, when the when the seal's broken up in revelation, um, I think it's chapter i don't know seven five somewhere on there when, when it says that no one was worthy to open up the scroll you know and uh and it, it's opened up, and there was silence in heaven for thirty minutes. one guy said that's because there was no women there <laughs> they were quiet they were it was i'm sorry <laughs> paul is uh. saying an amen to that. Let a woman learn quietly. Let her learn quietly. What does that mean? Again, culturally, because of the freedom, like they were, these women were having such an incredible freedom in being able to learn and such that when they would come together, they would sit classically like, you know, women on one side, men on the other side. If you ever go to India or any other country, um, primarily in the churches, that's still how they do it. They separate men and women, then they sit on other sides. But, but what was happening was during this time is like, you know, you would address your husband if there was a question you had. You wouldn't come to the pastor. You'd address, you'd ask your husband, "Hey, what does that mean?" We should still be doing that. Why? Because it makes your husband lead. He's the spiritual lead of your home. They wouldn't do that. They would go to the, you know, they they would they would ask their husbands right in the middle of the sermon, "Hey Yoshi, what does he mean by that?" You know, kind of thing, and. And it was disrupting the service. That's why he's saying this. Be quiet when you're, when you're lear- learning, and be quiet and be submissive to, to, to what God is doing in this place. Don't be disruptive. They were so, the ladies were so excited to, 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 to have this kind of freedom that, that they were, needed some direction. They needed some guidance on, on how to learn that. This is not at all anything that is, is, is speaking against women. In fact, this is for women. And when Paul wrote this, women were rejoicing over the fact that they could learn it all. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34, 35, this is Paul speaking to those in Corinth. He says, if there's anything that, that they desire, speaking of your wives to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for it's shameful for a woman to, to speak in church. That, that was the same cultural issue going on there as well. Greek women who had been suppressed in a lot of ways, coming into the church and then going, whoa, we can express ourselves here. We can, we can, we can uh, learn in all of these kinds of things. But Paul says it's, it's shameful. It's shameful. And, and the, the shameful act is disrupting God. It's disrupting the Holy Spirit in the presence of God's people. That's the shameful act. That's what he's talking about. So I would say, listen, if you, I would encourage you, if you have a question, Go to your husband. Ask him. Make him learn. Say, "Hey, you're supposed to know this stuff. You learn this stuff. And if he doesn't know, you come talk to me. I don't know either. I'll go talk to somebody else. <laughs> we'll figure it out, man. If you don't have a husband, then you could go to your father. If your father's not around anymore, you you can you know you're welcome. You're welcome to to, to do whatever you want. But scripturally, that's how it goes." The man that's, that you're under authority to, if you're a woman and you're, you're not married, you're still under the authority of your father. And you ask him, and if, if that's not the case, then, oh, that sounds super old school. There's a reason for it. It's design. It's God's design. Some things aren't worth changing, folks. Sometimes in our progression, we're actually digressing. Does that make sense? Two steps forward, six steps back. That's what's happening, and so Paul's saying, just, just, just submit to God's design here. So we consider the responsibilities. Now let's consider the restrictions. Verse twelve: I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man; rather, she is to remain quiet. There's a there's a serious thunderstorm alert going on here. Uh, it's going off in my pocket too. But uh, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became. A transgressor. Now, I- anytime we come across a prohibition in Scripture, I don't care what it is, our flesh automatically steps up and says, what? Wait a second. I don't know if I like that. And we start to go, hold on a second. I don't, I don't think I... And immediately what happens is we're in the flesh. And then we have to rein ourselves back in and say, hold on a second. It's not about how I feel about what's being said. I need to... Surrender my feelings to the Lord and say, God, what is your intention with me, what's being said here? When people tell me what to do, I, I, you know, it, it bothers me. It's my flesh. I don't like it. And, and here's the thing is, this is not Paul telling person, a person what to do, even though he uses the, uh, you know, I do not permit, but he's speaking on behalf of Jesus Christ. We know that from the very introduction of this letter when he's saying, I am coming in apostolic authority of Jesus Christ. I'm speaking on behalf of Jesus. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over man. Now, this is highly debated as to what exactly this means. Is this just dealing with locally in the church of Ephesus? Or is Paul saying this is a command across the board to all churches? And and so that's what we're going to consider. There's a couple different views on this. And I'm going to give you both of them because I think it's important that you know them. There, there is the theological position known as egalitarianism, which people ascribe to this view hold that men and women are equal in personhood but also equal in design, that, that men and women are transferable, they can go in any other direction, you know, they can all fulfill the same roles and all of that. In a, in a nutshell, that's what that, that, that um, viewpoint is. Others suggest that um, what Paul's saying here is sort of a hard and fast rule that women are never to speak or teach a man ever in any context. That's one another view, and th- th- this, which is called complementarianism. But that would be a staunch complementarian vision, sort of you know viewpoint. There's also, um, I would say, a softer viewpoint in that. Um, that the emphasis is, of course, on roles, that men and women have different roles within the church, uh, that, that they do, but it's not in a, in, a, in a hard and fast way that a woman could never, ever step, you know, foot in a pulpit. In fact, some people that hold this view hold it so hard that they would never have a woman worship leader, they would, everything has to be driven by guys and all of that, and you know what, they, they have a reason for that because that's how they see the Scripture, and I, I say, okay, well, you know. And in fact, if you've ever if you ever read anything that has to do with Church of Christ, then you know that that's what it that's how they lead their church, and that that's the way it is. Women can't pray in public; it's all men-driven. So they're very hard, on, a hard line on on what they believe is being said here. Um, many people hold the view that, you know, people can women can. Um, you know, share and and different things from the pulpit, but never, the the issue comes back to not necessarily teaching, but authority. You know, and that's still a complementarian viewpoint of saying, listen, there has to be a male head. There needs to be, the church needs to be under male headship. The home needs to be under male headship. But that would mean, you know, a woman, you know, should, I mean, in this particular context, you know, the way we do it is we take a softer approach. We, I, I've had ladies teach from the pulpit, but I believe what's being spoken here is, is the authoritative part of um, the scripture. I think Paul is saying, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over man. I think the emphasis is on authority, not necessarily on the teaching of. And, and you know, honestly, frankly, Pastor Chuck, not that we follow man, but um, kind of had that approach as well. The, the guy that started Calvary Chapel, he had the approach of saying, hey, listen, um, Corey Ten Boom spoke from his pulpit on Sunday morning multiple times. It's a woman teaching from the pulpit, you know, and he's had various other ladies that, you know, it's not a common thing, and that's the reality of it. And this is such an uncomfortable topic because this is something that's going on today. Like, there is a huge debate over Beth Moore and the Southern Baptist Commission and you know even within Calvary Chapel this is a big deal you know and 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 listen i think you have to be honest to the scriptures and i don't think this is this is a hard and fast women can never stand in a pulpit never share anything because we see in the new testament that there are times that um, you know paul mentions different women and how they have been used to, to to aid and to teach and to to help guys look at priscilla and apollo You know, not that that's a a public context, but there's that idea. So I think when you do something like that, when it comes down to that, it it really comes down to authority for me. And if, you know, we have women worship leaders. We have, there's been women that have spoken from our pulpit. We will, we're never, we're not going to say that's just totally unbiblical, we'll never do it, but it's not, it's occasional. It's not something that we do all the time in terms of teaching from the pulpit. You know, and, and, and when we do it, here's what you have to understand is that it's under the headship of the pastor. It's under the headship of the pastor, just as Corey Tinboom was under the headship of Pastor Chuck. You know, if I were to have somebody, I've had um, Patty Height from Out of Egypt Ministries speak on the gay and lesbian, you know, LBGT community, and, and I feel like that was important for everyone to hear. So we did it on a Sunday morning. I don't see an issue with that. I think the Lord uses those kinds of things. But I think Paul is coming from that viewpoint, from a complementarian viewpoint, because, you know, his, really his emphasis is on authority. Now, he moves on here, and he speaks about his first defense of this. He's not saying that, you know, that was done away with. You know, many people that take the egalitarian um, viewpoint say that was cultural, it was done away with. So they say, you know... It doesn't matter. Can a woman hold the um, the position of pastor in the church? I think Paul is saying here no. So so here's the thing is if that's the case, then if you're a guy and you're following a, a woman pastor, that's called sin because you're outside of the scripture. You know, you have women like Joyce Meyer, and I, and I don't call her out by name. I, dude, I think she's a great teacher. But the problem is she steps outside of her role in terms of, what is, I believe, the Scripture saying here? And she's taking authority over men, which Paul is prohibiting because it's outside the design of order. And I, and I think that the lady's a very comparable... She, she can teach, dude. She's, she has a lot of good things to say. But to hold the, the title of pastor is, is God's design. It's for God to do. Remember, it was the Lord in Ephesians 4.12 that gave pastors and teachers and and those sorts of things. And as we move into next week, we're going to see that 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 flow continues on into 1 Timothy chapter 3, where he says, you know, talking about eldership, talking about deaconship, and he's talking about the man must be the husband of one wife. You know, so he's making it very clear who the head of, uh, when it comes to authority within the body of Christ, authority within the home, who that would be. It would be the husband of one wife, not vice versa. It's not transferable. He would have wrote it differently if that's what he meant. So I think he's taking a, um, a complementarian kind of viewpoint here, and, uh, and I think he supports it by what he says. We don't even have to really sort of dive in too much deep into that by, because he follows it up with, with design. And he says, look, Adam was formed first, then Eve. He's talking about the order of creation. He's using that to support the idea that, that women are not to teach or exercise authority over a man. He, he uses that as support for that. Secondly, he goes on and he says, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became transgressor. Now this is interesting because you could take this as, as Paul saying, women are easily deceived. That's not what he's saying though. What he's saying is that the woman was deceived. And whose responsibility was that? That was Adam's responsibility. And in fact, everywhere in Scripture, you're never going to see Eve take the fall because of, for, for eating from the, 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 the tree. But, but actually, it mentions Adam as the one who did it. Why? Because it's a matter of authority. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to protect he was supposed to teach his wife, he was supposed to protect his wife. He did not do that. And therefore, it's his responsibility and he's the one to blame. And in fact, Paul Paul says that in Romans chapter 5 verse 12. He says, "Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned." He's not using that word man as in the global context of mankind. He's using that in the, in the gender sense of the word, man, because he failed. He failed, and that continues to go on today when men do not lead, when men do not step into their role, and they become the leaders of their homes, and, and they lead the church. That's exactly what happens. God will blame you. It's your fault. You will take accountability for men. I'm speaking to you. You will take, a, you're accountable for your family, for your wife. You're accountable to wash her with the word. You're accountable to to your family and all of these kinds of things. Take it serious. It's not a joke. It's not a suggestion. The Lord designed it that way. So Paul says, you know, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Listen, here's what happened at the Garden of Eden when, when Eve... Ate of the fruit, she was deceived. But when Adam ate of it, he ate of it eyes wide open. He knew exactly what he was doing. She was deceived. He was not. He just ate willingly. Let that settle in for a moment. He he he, he is his responsibility. But with that all said, in the context of it, he is responsible because he is the leader of that. He is the leader of the of the of the relationship there. And so Paul Paul is giving us clear indication what he intends to mean by what he's saying by what he says at the end of the beginning of the verse. So if you look at that verse and you go I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet, and then you go on to that, most people stop right there. Period. Wait a second. Well, hold on, keep reading. For Adam was formed first, then Eve And Adam was not deceived, and the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. He supports what he just said by by drawing us back to the Garden of Eden and drawing us back to original creation, what God's design was for. That's why I started there, because that's where I think he's coming from. When he had this in mind, when he was thinking about, how do I write to these women in this culture, and how do I get their attention? Um, You know, I could come out of the blue and just start talking about authority talking about design and stuff, you know, but I need to draw them backwards so that they understand where I'm coming from. The viewpoint I'm coming from is from the creation of mankind. That's where I'm coming from. What was God's intention from the beginning? And then he writes this. And I think that's the right, right way to do it. So many people, so many people take this verse and become so offended by it, but they don't taken context of what, how God designed men and women to be. We are different. We are different. We are not, you, you know, men are not greater, women are not greater. We are all equal, but we all have different roles. And I think that's modeled in the Trinity, Folks. I don't think it's any it can get any clearer than the, the idea of Jesus Christ who you know is the savior of the world who we talk about all the time rightly so we should. He's our mediator, he's the savior of the world, but there's a father and a Holy Spirit. And they all they they collectively all, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make one God. But they all have different roles. Jesus, is Jesus. listen, this is so interesting. The Father points us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. Jesus points us to the Father. And he points us to the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you need those guys. The point of it is not, is not about personhood, but it's about role, how they play. Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. He came to die for us. The Father, the way I look at it, His role, hes sort of the, He has the plan. Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man will appear, except my Father. He knows because He is, has the master plan. The Holy Spirit is behind the scenes orchestrating, giving us the power we need, wooing people to the Father. They all work in conjunction together. Not one of them is any less God. Not one of them is any less God. And so that's how you have to view these kinds of things. God designed men and women to be specifically complementary to each other. And if you miss that, then you're going to miss the entire point of your existence. I I love what Elizabeth Elliot said. She said, The special gift and ability of each creature defines its special limitations. And as the bird easily comes to terms with the necessity of bearing wings when it finds that it is, in fact, the wings that bear the bird, so the woman who accepts the limitations of womanhood finds in those very limitations her gifts, her special callings, her wings, which bear her up into perfect freedom into the will of God. Isn't that cool? What a great illustration! Of saying, listen, the, the idea of being limited in a, in a role for a specific reason means that God has something special for you. That's a cool way to put it, and, and that's, that is the reality of it. So now we look at, finally, the last section here, the redemption. And it's interesting that these correlate with, with sort of what God said in Genesis 3.16 where he gives the curse of the woman, and he talks about childbearing, Right? Paul says, "Yet she will be saved through childbearing." The, God said in Genesis three sixteen that it was gonna be. It's gonna suck. It's gonna hurt. It's gonna be very, very painful. And I've been there, and it does not look fun, you know. So, so there was a curse, but listen, there's also redemption through the very same thing. Isn't that cool? Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self control. What is he saying? There's a couple different views on this. I could go a couple different ways. Many, many people believe that this is being spoken of Mary, the Virgin Mary who brought forth Jesus Christ and that he is the redemption. And, of course, he is the redemption. He's the redemption of mankind. I mean, without the blood of Christ, without his sacrifice on the cross, we can't be saved. Right? There's no, there's no other way. But I don't think that's what he's saying, because he, he's linking this to childbearing. He's not talking about eternal salvation. He's talking about redemption in terms of the woman buying back what was lost in the Garden of Eden, and and and, and not pining for her husband's position, but settling down into what she's called to be, and and she is called to 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 to. Reproduce. She's called to help her husband, but she's also called to be, to reproduce and to childbear. Now that's a heavy responsibility, man, to rear up children. To to I have four kids, and, and it's it's not an easy task, man. And you know, my wife, I, I remember our times coming home when she, she homeschooled four kids at once, and I would just like, dude, how was your day? I hate to even ask. Because I know how hard that is. That's why women have that job. <laughs> because we could not handle it. We were not designed to deal with the level of stress and the le- the, the, to the level of patience that you need to really rear up a child. And it isn't to say, don't, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Guys, you should have a very active role in your kids as being raised. You should have a very active role. They need a father figure. They need that disciplinary, that, that, that model of good manhood in their lives because that's, that's being lost. But, but, but the wife's primary role in this relationship outside of helping her husband, if she can't bear children, that's her role. She, that's what she's focused on, laser focused on helping her husband. She doesn't have a husband. She's laser focused on whatever the Lord has her to be. Whatever, whatever he has her to be. But there's limitations to that, and that's okay. You know, we, we fall in line with whatever the Lord wants. But, but if you're a wife that is able to have children and you, you're bearing children, that's, that's your redemption. That's the redemption back from what was lost in the Garden of Eden. That's what he's talking about. And um, he's not talking about eternal salvation because we know that women are saved just like men by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. That's it. So Paul is speaking about that. Women are redeemed from the fall and the curse by submitting to his design, not eternally as in saved as a result of, but in this life from the hardship and the going against the grain of God. One commentator said it like this. He said, women who fulfill their God-given roles of childbearing and child rearing are demonstrating true commitment and obedience to Christ, one of the most important roles for a wife and mother is to care for her family. This seems to be the most legitimate interpretation in light of the larger context and also in reference to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 15, which you can read later, speaking about widows and wives and, and roles and different things like that. The women in Ephesus were abandoning their God-given purpose because of the false teachers. They were being drawn away. So Paul was telling them that caring for their families or remarrying if they were younger widows was one way for them to remain effective and to live faithful lives of service. By means of bearing children, raising them and fulfilling their design, women would be saved from the evils of Ephesian society and maintain a pure testimony to the lordship of Christ. That's what he means by that. And you continue on just like we do in your faith. You live by faith, allowing the love of Christ to to, to shine through you, allowing the Holy Spirit to bring that fruit of love in your life being set apart for his purposes. That's what we're called to, folks, walking in the fruit of self-control. Don't fall for the trap. Do not fall for the trap of deception in this world today that says that you're supposed to be something more than who God intended you to be. He's the designer. And, and when he designed you, he created you to be something very, very specific. And I would encourage you to get into the scriptures for yourself and make sure that you understand this. Because if you don't, you're risking you know, going outside of what the Lord would have you to do. And you don't want to be there. How many of you guys want to walk in the center of the will of God? Anybody here? Just a few people. That's awesome. So (laughs) listen, we want to be in the middle of the will of God. That is the reality. Are you guys awake? So I want to encourage you, get into the scriptures, study them for yourselves. And here's what I would say moving forward. Whenever I speak about the biblical mandate of male headship, that's what I mean. It's speaking about design. It's speaking about what God set in order, how the Lord wants His the, the home our homes to be, how he wants our, the church to be ran and all of that. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't have a, um, a very, very significant role for women because he does and he uses women all the time. Don't be ripped off by the enemy into thinking that you're supposed to be more than what he's called you to be, amen? Father, thank you so much for your word this morning, and Lord, what, what, a, what an awesome passage, Lord, but a difficult one, and, and particularly in our culture, Lord, and I just pray, Father, that you move in our midst this morning, that you draw all hearts to yourself, and that, Father, that what was spoken here today would minister, Lord, in a significant way to those who are here and to those who will hear it. And this topic goes, that conversation goes one of two ways. And so I just pray that you would help us this morning, Lord, to apply what we've heard you say. Apply what what your Holy Spirit has led us to this morning. And I just pray for the ladies in this place. I pray for just a special blessing on their lives, Lord. I thank you that, that they desire to follow your heart to what it is that you desire. And so I just, I just ask you, Lord, by, the, by your spirit, that you just, if there's any resistance, Lord, to, your, to what was said this morning, that you help them to, may that become a fire in their hearts, God, to not just fall in line with the other side of the argument, but to get in the word for themselves. What did you really mean by this passage, Lord? And I just ask you to bless every woman in this place. I just pray for the men as well, Lord, just for those who are married, who are called to the headship of their homes and their, Lord, that you help them to fulfill their calling. And that you bless the marriage, Lord, that you help the husband and wife to step into their roles. Fully equal, Lord, but different in design. And so I just ask your Holy Spirit to meet us today where we are. Lord, there's some people here this morning, I sense that, that are so desperately in need of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to speak that truth. So I I just thank you for, for being present in this place this morning. And we ask you to continue to bless our time as we close. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.